8, verse 37, that says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I love the New Living Translation that says that we have overwhelming victory. And this is who we are. We're not called just to be victorious. We're called to be over victorious. We're, we're called to super abundance. That word, when Jesus said, you may have abundant life, it actually means that the, the literal Greek translations means super abundant. There would be exponential life in us. So you, that's how we're supposed to be as overcomers. We're not just getting by. We're not just one step ahead. We're actually, we have a surplus of victory in our life that we can actually be generous and give some away to others. Come on, are you with me? And uh, I just want to tell you tonight and encourage you that you have the upper hand in this battle of life. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I know sometimes the, the, the only hand that you can think is the hand that's reaching out and say, help me, I'm drowning. You know, I read a, uh, a, a meme one time that, that uh, someone asked. They said, well, how does it feel to have five children? They said, well, imagine that you are drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> And uh, I always thought that was really funny because that's exactly what it feels like when you have a kid. And so, um, no, it's, it's amazing. But, but the thing is, is we are in victory. We're not just trying to get by. We're not just, you know, living paycheck to paycheck spiritually. Are you with me? We have victory. We are more than conquerors. And that's what this series is about. In Luke chapter 10, I was reading this scripture this week, and, and, and it kind of disturbs me at the end of it. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. Now, they're not the original 12 disciples that we normally talk about. These are 72, scripture says, other disciples. So how many know that Jesus had his, his crew, right? He had his homies that were with him all the time, right? That they ate together, they, they played together, they did everything together. And then Jesus kind of had an outer circle, and I believe that that's where these 72 were. And there were 17... 72 people that were followers of Jesus, they were disciples, and it said that Jesus was was gathering with them, and he said, listen, I want you to go out and be about the work of the ministry. I want you to go out and cast out demons. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to go, and you don't even need money. In fact, you can just leave all your stuff here, leave all your clothes here. Just go ahead and go. I'm going to provide for you. Everything's going to be okay. If people reject your message, just shake your feet, shake the dust off your feet, and move on to the next city. He's like, I want you to do all this. So they do. They go out, and they do that. These 72 uh, disciples. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, after these guys do, do this, it says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, can you guys imagine being at this meeting? Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I, I, I like to think that these disciples weren't just like, you know, come on, Lord, just talk to us. Kind of how I am sometimes as a pastor. Sometimes I'm kind of talking. Everybody's just kind of waiting to hear. Though they were like into it because they're like fired up because they just went and they just saw the demonstration of the kingdom of God in their reality. They were doing the same stuff that Jesus was doing. So they come back and they are fired up and they're like, Lord, this all this stuff's crazy. And then so Jesus is like, yeah. He's like, how many of you know that Jesus is a celebrator? He is a celebrator. So he was celebrating with them. And he's like, yes. He's like, and I saw Satan fall like lightning. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, that's awesome. It's so awesome that you were there, that you saw that. He said, look, I have given you the authority. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, we were there over the power of the enemy. Yeah, woo, we're fired up. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Yeah, yes, Lord, that's good. We can do everything that you've been doing. Nothing will injure you. Oh, yeah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right. But do not rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Oh, and all of a sudden the room got quiet. I really believe that it was like this. 
He says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. He said, see, you're getting excited because the situations around you are going the way you want them to go. But you don't rejoice according to the situations. You rejoice because you belong to me. It disturbed me a little bit when I first read that until I kind of got Jesus would God doesn't have a problem with us celebrating things. It's obvious in First Thessalonians chapter five eighteen. It says, "Be thankful in all circumstances." How many? I studied that word out in the Greek. It actually means all. Let's preach your joke. For this is God's will who belong in Christ Jesus. Listen, it is God's will that you are thankful in all circumstances. So it was Jesus, the will of Jesus that they would not just rejoice when the demons obeyed them, but it was also his will if they didn't. Now, I believe that we have the power that they always have to, but if everything doesn't go our way, we're not rejoicing because things go our way or don't go our way. We're rejoicing because our names are written down. We're rejoicing because we made the list. Come on, are you with me? So Jesus wasn't saying, don't get excited about these things. Because he, because from my reading, it looks like that he was getting excited too and saying, yeah, I saw it. And this is going to go on. But hold up. Because sometimes things will be good and sometimes things will be bad. But you rejoice because you belong to me. Don't base your rejoicing on circumstances or outcomes. Are you with me? I mean, we do want to celebrate the outcomes. Come on. We want to celebrate the victories. I think that that's in all circumstances, we want to thank God. We want to rejoice in that. But that is not the reason we rejoice. We rejoice because we belong to him. And when we get this reality, it really balances out gratefulness in our lives. Here we are getting close to Thanksgiving. We talk about being grateful and we talk about being thankful. For me, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving because it's so uh, non-commercialized. It's really everybody kind of gets it. They get together, they eat, they spend time with family. I love that. And uh, we see some things kind of trying to mess that up. And I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon, but that's what I love about it. It's just that it's so genuine. But we don't base our our rejoicing on circumstances or outcomes. Jesus, I believe in this moment, was saying, hey, hold on, guys, perspective moment. There is something more exciting going on here. You are mine, and you have the same functioning power that I do because you are in me. The reason why this is working, guys, is not because you're so powerful. It's because I mandated it in your life. And it's the same for you. Because he's given you the power to overcome. You don't, you don't just celebrate when you win. You don't just celebrate when the bank account has lots of money. You always celebrate. Why? Because your position is in him. And that is unchanging. Doesn't matter how good the worship band sounded this week. Or how many sound issues we did or didn't have. Or how many people attended our service. Or how many people showed up to our birthday party. We celebrate in all circumstances because our name are written on his list. I love what Bill Johnson says. This is so good. And it kind of takes you a minute to wrap your head around it. He says, we don't rejoice because we have joy. We have joy because we rejoice. 
Come on, are you with me? We, we have rejoicing in us, and it activates the joy in our life. Listen, our capacity to practice gratefulness, our capacity, listen, to practice gratefulness will greatly influence our ability to walk in peace. All of us want to walk in peace. But the key to peace is gratefulness. Okay, I'll show you here in a minute. Because some of y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? We don't rejoice because we have joy. We have joy because we rejoice. I want to talk about a few, because, you know, peace. We all want peace, right? We all want to be able to lay our head down at night and close our eyes and be able to rest without being frustrated because we couldn't pay our bills or because someone cut us off in traffic, right? Or someone's been mean to us and we can't resolve it because people have been unjust to us because someone, the internet's not working for us to get health care. Whatever it is, right? We want to be able to go to sleep despite the circumstances and rest, not just sleep. Come on, how many know there's a difference between rest and sleep? Big difference. Rest goes beyond sleep. You'll sleep better when you have rest. And you rest better when you have sleep. But in order to get good sleep, you've got to have rest. And rest is found in peace. It's not really found in how comfortable your bed is or your lifestyle or whether you're in the Bahamas. All those things would be nice. But you're not there. You have rest regardless of where you're at. You know, we talk about this thing called retreating. I'm going to jump on something right here because I just I feel it. We talk about this thing. I just need to get away and I need to recharge. And listen, I'm all about that. But the thing is, is we, we have our batteries recharged every freaking day. I mean, we are the people of God. We have supernatural authority and power in us. It's not about, and listen, you need to do that. You need to have a Sabbath. You need to have a day of the week that you don't do anything. Yes, this is, this is God. It's God's will for you. But if you are living from retreat to retreat or meeting after meeting or vacation to vacation to break from whatever it is, then you are not experiencing peace in your life. You aren't experiencing rest in your life because rest is a position. It's not an event. And you need to have those things. Those things will contribute to your rest. But that's not where you get it. That was free. All right. So here's some mentalities that stifle gratefulness. Things that hinder peace in our life. These are peace hinderers. We're going to get into the word a little bit tonight. First of all is an entitlement mentality. You guys know, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't deserve that. and I deserve this. and Such and such, this should happen to me. You know, we don't allow our kids to use the words, that's not fair. We don't, we tell them, no. I mean, they come in, I mean, probably almost daily. No, no, can't say that. That's not fair. That's not fair. Because we want them to have a good grid for what real justice is. Come on, are you with me? We don't want to water it down by that's not fair because he's playing with this toy and I want to play with it. That's not fair. I'm entitled to that. It, it, it belongs to me. Listen, really, in the kingdom, when we belong in Christ, we're dead to rights. Dead, last I checked, dead people don't have rights. So we're dead to rights. So really, we're not entitled to anything. And so we get this entitlement, so what we do is we live life for a handout. And so we're discouraged when that doesn't happen, and we're, we don't have any peace. Listen, you can choose the grace of God 
which empowers you to receive his promise or what you are privileged or deserve to receive from society or anybody else that wants to feel sorry for you. Let me say it again. I don't think you got it. The grace of God, you can choose. The grace of God which empowers you to receive his promise or what you're privileged or deserve to receive from society or anybody else that wants to feel sorry for you. Because this is what entitlement does. It says, give me something because you feel sorry for me. Right? So we complain when we don't get what we deserve, which is most times. I mean, you know that there's a way to get more than what you deserve. It's called grace. Come on. So be grateful. Because what you're entitled to is much less than what God has promised you. Mm. What you're entitled to is so much less than what God has promised you. Secondly, the second mentality, so the entitlement mentality, the second mentality is the victim mentality. Now, the victim mentality is kind of like the roommate of the entitlement mentality. And so what happens is when we have the victim mentality, we say, why is everything so rotten in my life? Why is this so difficult? Why is this happening to me? Why doesn't this happen to anybody else? The reality is, is we all face difficulty. But the difference between victims and those that are victorious is how they deal with the battle. Come on, that'd be a good place to say amen right there. We all face difficulty, but the difference between victims and the victorious is how they deal with the battle. Are you a victim or a victor? It's not contingent upon God. It's not contingent upon what happens around you. It's contingent upon you recognizing that the battle is the Lord's, that you belong to Jesus. How do you handle the battle? You just don't understand. I've heard that. I've been doing ministry for about 20 years. I've heard that like a million times. I'm like, the principles don't change according to your circumstances. These are the realities. This is your reality. Get here. Get in this reality. I know it's difficult. I'm not making light of it. I want to tell you just get over it, but I took that out of my notes. I really did. But you do need to get over it, but you don't have to get over it alone. You have God's help. So be grateful. God loves you. You belong to God. And you are more than a conqueror. You are more than a winner. Through Christ who loves you. If nothing else, you don't have a reason to smile. God loves you. And and if you can't smile with that thought, just that thought, then you don't understand his love. I'm telling you, if it is not enough, that, that statement, God loves me, is not enough to bring joy in the midst of the most difficult thing that any person is, then you don't understand his love. And that's okay, because it takes God to love God, and it takes God to understand God. So ask God, God, reveal to me your love, because I don't get it yet. Would you show me more of your love, of your reality, so I will know it, so I can get through this, and not just get by it. Because that's what we do. We kind of get by things. But God wants you to get through it. And then you develop this history with God, and you look back, and then someone else comes to you. And I know it's kind of cliche to say when, when you're going, well, on these days you'll be able to minister to somebody that's going. But that's true. 
And it's not about you and your situations and your circumstances. It's about what God is doing through you and in you and building faith in you and building courage for you, for you to impact the world, for you to impact the kingdom. So yes, you will have that testimony. But there's no test without a testimony. I mean, there's no testimony without a test. So, entitlement mentality, the victim mentality, and nextly, next is just, nextly, is that a word? Nextly. It is now, because I said it. Next is the, the third mentality, which is the negative mentality, and this is just kind of general negative, right? Now, by that, I'm, I'm really kind of dealing with the thing about complaining, right? Oh. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You know what? This is the reality. Complainers are drainers. Complaining is draining. It just, it really is. And, uh, you know, we have an individual that lives in our house um, that, that's not an adult that complains and whines a lot. And I always tell this young man that complaining is draining. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not there yet. And we're trying to help him without being complainers on top of his complaining. Let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with filing a complaint. Right? Even David did this to God. I don't think there's anything wrong with complaining to God about to filing a complaint before God. Now, complaining is the act of repetition, right? But listen, when we complain, a complaint only works in the context in which you can change the outcome. So what really kind of... Yes grinds my gears, is when people use, like, Facebook to complain. Complain about the government, to complain about life, to complain about this, complain about that. They don't ever talk about God or how good God is. They just talk about however. In, in fact, when you put something about God on there, people complain about you putting something on there about God. I'm like, listen, he is our existence. He should be most of our posts. So they get on. You get around them, then you quit getting around them, right? Because we don't want to spend time with people that make us feel empty. And so if you think, well, man, I, I get close to people and I just can't find any friends. Well, how much are you complaining when you're around them? Because if you're complaining a lot, people aren't going to want to be around you because complainers are drainers and people want lifters. People want to feel lifted when they're around you. A complaint only works in the context of which it can change the outcome. So there's nothing wrong with going to a restaurant and not getting good service and complaining to someone that can do something about it, one complaint. But how are you complaining? Are you complaining ugly? Or are you complaining nicely? Or are you complaining like the guy with the microphone is tonight, ranting? And some people say, well, I'm just not optimistic. I'm just not an optimistic person. I'm a realist. There's a greater reality than what you're living in if you're a realist. Listen, if, if, God, if, if you want to blame that off on your nature, I might add your sinful nature, then recognize that Jesus paid a very high price to change who you are, to change your identity, and to make, him like, make you like Jesus. You say, well, that's just not who I am. Well, I'm not talking about who you are. We're talking about who Jesus is and the standard that he set and the image that we're supposed to mirror, not what we like, what we do, our preference, how we are. No, 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 no. We're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Negativity comes out of those who have not nurtured an internal culture of gratefulness. 
So if you're negative, it's because you're not grateful. Did you know you can't be negative and grateful at the same time? Right? You can't complain and praise at the same time. Right? It doesn't work. Let me try it. Well, what I'm trying to say is, five minutes later, well, what I'm trying to say is, you're just not going to be able to say it. Because negativity comes out of those who have not nurtured an internal culture of gratefulness. Now, listen, we have bad days. Come on. Sometimes more bad days than we do good days. Right? I know sometimes I have bad days. Sometimes I'm not being a lifter. Sometimes I'm being a drainer, complainer, not a sustainer. So if negativity comes out of those who have not nurtured an internal culture of gratefulness, then let's talk about nurturing gratefulness in your life. Are you ready? These are some things for you to be grateful for. Here's our scripture tonight. This is really the main scripture. I uh, kind of moved it at the bottom because I felt like it fit there. But it was really the main text. But I changed things like that because I just can't keep my hands off of things. Okay, Col- Colossians. Col- Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Read your Bible, pastor. Okay. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Y'all having, y'all having a good time tonight? All right. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to complain. Okay. Tell me, not somebody else, because that's gossip. Oh. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Here it is right here. This is what we're talking about. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How many of you want that? Oh, I do want the peace of Christ to rule in my hearts. Since if members of one body, you were called to peace. So it's God's will that you are in peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul tells us here, he says, listen, it's God's will that you're in peace. You should walk in peace, and this is how you do it. Be thankful. And then he gives us a grid. He gives us an outline, if you will. The first thing that he talks about is admonition. Right? So if we nurture gratefulness, By admonition, in the words of Christ. Admonition is, is, is uh, authoritative direction. Teaching, preaching, receiving. Uh, so through admonition, we grow in peace. By being here tonight, by sitting under teaching, good teaching, admonishing, which is, I've kind of done a little bit of that tonight, which is kind of hardcore, but it still brings courage at the end of the day. Come on, are you with me? The words of Christ. So by teaching what Jesus said, what Jesus represents, it actually develops gratefulness in us. But it doesn't just say that you should be a receiver. You should also be an instructor of it. You should be a teacher of it. So see, it's not just, yeah, I'm the pastor. I'm the guy that's supposed to be doing that most of the time. But, but you are also instructors. You are also teachers of the works of Christ. It might not be on a platform uh, from a stage with a microphone or anything like that. It might be one-on-one with somebody. It might be your children. 
But we teach them about Jesus because when we teach people about Jesus, we teach them about God's love. When we teach them about God's love, there's nothing else that we can do but be grateful for it. So admonition. The second thing he talks about is adoration. He says sing songs, sing spiritual songs, sing hymns, sing all kinds of songs, sing songs. So what we do in a worship setting, this is kind of where we take this in our worship setting. We sing songs of gratefulness. We sing songs of praise. We celebrate when we sing. I remember one night we came in here and it was like there were like 10 people here. We were like week three meeting in our building and I was standing up here on front, you know, and um, I was discouraged, man. Like nobody was visiting, like nobody was coming. It was just the same people that were meeting in the house that were here that night and maybe a couple of people were gone. And I was so discouraged and uh, I was really allowing it to dictate to me my praise. And so I said, God. I said, I'm not worshiping you. I'm not praising you tonight because how many people are here or how successful our church is or how many people are this, that, or there. God, I'm praising you because you are good to me and you love me and you're on me and you are a good God and you're beautiful. So God, I just, man, as I began to do that, I just, courage and hope rose up in my heart. It was so much easy, easier for me to focus on God. So when you're dealing with something difficult, just start singing. Don't start complaining. Start singing. Just be like, whoa, whoa, how great your love is for me. When you're all like bummed out. Whoa, whoa. You won't keep that frown very long if you're singing stuff like that. Especially if it's coming from your soul. So just sing. We're singers at our house. We're, we're singers. You need to be a singer. Maybe not on the stage of the microphone. <laughs> Maybe. Does say make a joyful noise, not an awful noise. <laughs> okay, <laughs> preacher joke. All right, number three. Say, so, well, why were you just doing that? So, admonition in the Word of Christ. Number two, adoration of praise, and number three, application of a focused lifestyle. And he says this: with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do. He's talking about letting peace rule and reign in our life, and whatever you do, do it all. In the name of Jesus, do it all for the glory of God. Why are you doing what you're doing? Well, because I can be this, and so I can make lots of money, and have a bigger house, and have bigger bills. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> right? Doing for that money, right? Well, Skrillas, the cheddar, right? I heard that today, this week. I was like, heard cheddar for cash. Cheddar. Interesting. Cheddar. It's like money. It's Skrillos. <laughs> Why are you doing what you do? How, why do you live? Listen, we talk about being kingdom-centered here all the time. Listen, the reason why that we want to be kingdom-centered is because it's who God made us. It's not like it's, not like it's we're like, oh, sometimes I feel like, oh, come on, you just got to think about the kingdom all the time. And you think of that sometimes, and this will tell you how mature you are spiritually, you'll think of that either as a burden or a blessing. I've got to think about the kingdom all the time. I've got to think about the kingdom. No, 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 I'm not thinking about the kingdom. No, 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 no. You just do think about the kingdom because you recognize that you're loved by God, that you're, everything that you're doing, whatever you're doing is for God. Whatever it is, whether it's waiting tables, whether it's sitting in a cubicle, whether it's dealing with complaining customers, whatever it is, you're doing it for God. You're doing it for his glory. You're not just doing it to, to make that rent. Because you are about the kingdom of God. 
You are about God's dominion going forth on the earth. You are about seeing transformation in your culture. That's what you are about. It's who you are. So the application of focused lifestyle. All right, here's some things for you to think about. These are things for you to dwell on. Are you ready? Now, when we say dwell on, we're actually mean like dwell in. Like this is like a reality that we're walking in. Right? Because we say dwell. Dwell is what? A house is a place we live. So when we talk about dwelling on things, it means we live there. We live on those thoughts. First of all, dwell on provision. Dwell on what you have. You know that even the poor in America are rich in most parts of the world. People that live on the streets in America are better off than the rich in some countries. I don't have the stats for you tonight, but you have a lot. So what do you do? You, dwell, you think about what God has given you. You don't start thinking, oh, I don't have this, and I don't have that. You start thinking about what you have. Again, we deal with this person that's a complainer sometimes. It's like, I want more Skylanders. Dude, you have 40. Let's count them. Yeah, I do have a lot. I want more. <laughs> it's, it's called contentment, which we're going to hit on in a minute. But listen, what, what do you have? You're purchased by the blood of Christ. You have salvation. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God likes you. Like, he enjoys you. Look at what you have. What about your daily provisions? When's the last time you skipped a meal? (laughs) Because you had to. I need to skip a few meals. I know. (laughs) Second Peter chapter 1. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. For living a godly life. For living a godly life. Now maybe not for living a worldly life. God might not give you everything. God won't give you everything you need to be worldly. God won't give you everything you need to be worldly. He'll give you everything you need to be godly. Oh, say that. We have received all of this by coming to know him. We have received it. Why? By just being in relationship. We had this. Psalm chapter 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives my sin and he heals my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and his tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Come on. So dwell on what you have. Part of the reason why you're not grateful is because you're just thinking about all the stuff you don't got. Or the house that you're not living in. Or the car that you ain't driving. Or the job that you don't have. What about the job that you do have? What if you didn't have a job? Well, that job sucks. It's so, so, so terrible. I hate it so much. It's just the worst job ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? This is kind of where we get. Because it's like, you got a job. Glorify me. Love me in that job. <laughs> what is wrong with me? 
Number two. I don't know, man. I think it was worship was just so refreshing tonight. I was like, oh, yeah. Number two. So number one is our provision. Number two is our providence. That's where you are. So many times we just focus on where we're not. I want you to say this with me. Say, God has got me here. God has got me here. He's the one that got you here. And he's going to take you to the next place that you need to be. But you've got to understand that his providence, that he is good, that he is taking good care of you. So serve now. Dream now. Dream about now. Labor now. Bloom where you're planted now. Stop waiting. God has put you where you are. Now. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Um, you know, a year and a half ago when we started praying about coming out here, we were scared. I was so fearful. I was so unfaith-filled. I was so desperate for God to bring some comfort. I was scared, scared. I was like, God, are you sure? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I just started thinking. I was just like, man, God has never let me down not one time. I've always been right in the center of his will. And then God gave Leslie this scripture. We're playing our course. We're doing what we feel like they we're supposed to do. And God, at every step of the way, he's going to guard our steps. So it gets me, I'm like, well, I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably, you need to stop all that. God, if you're living in Jesus, he's ordaining your steps. Well, maybe I miss God. No, you didn't. Are you serving Jesus? Yes. Then you didn't miss God. Listen, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve God and miss God and not know it. The only way you're going to miss God if you're serving God is if you, you're willfully doing it. People are like, oh, I don't, don't want to miss God. Let me go fast 450 hours. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Hey, how you going to do it? I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. Right? So what are we going to do next? I'm praying about it. Right? You make your plans and God's going to determine you. You pray about it. Absolutely, you pray about it. Why is that so funny? I'm praying about it. Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man. The, in, the, in the old language, it's righteous. The steps of a righteous, and we're not righteous because of what we do, but we're righteous because of what Christ has done. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. Some of you will not get to the next part of your journey until you can recognize that God has you here, until you serve here. I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about wherever you're at in your life. Do it now. What are you giving right now? Man, one of these days, man, where I get like a cush position and I have a nice salary, you'll do less than you're doing now probably because you'll get comfortable and you won't have anything to work for, and that's the goal. And so you get there and you're like, man, I used to be so excited about it. Well, now it's become your job and you're doing it for the money. Now you're just being a hireling. What happened to the dream that was inside of you? I've seen this happen time and time again. So some of you will not get to the next part of your journey until you can recognize that God has you here. So you won't get to the place that you really want to be because God's directing your steps and he's saying, you're supposed to be here and learn contentment here and be grateful here and then I'm going to promote you there 
we're here and then there. So don't be so caught up in tomorrow. That's what Jesus said. We, we talk about vision. You got to have a vision. You got you to have a big ambition for your life. You better have it detailed. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, I love it. What Jesus walked into a big business meeting with the disciples. You know, they're all, okay, Lord, this is our 50-year plan for transforming the planet. And he walks in and he's like, ah, don't worry about tomorrow. Just do what I've been doing. But Lord, there's only this much money there. No, worry about. I pray about it. Worry. Are you praying out of fear? Or are you praying because you want to be with God in His presence? They're both good motivators. <laughs> Come on. When you're afraid, you need to pray. But don't let that be the the, the dictator of your intimacy with Jesus. Number three. I know I'm going long tonight. Number one, provision what you have. Number two, providence where you're at. And number three, promise what is coming. Dwell in promise. <laughs> we call this hope. Right? It's like, man, the next thing's coming. We love that. So we call this hope. You know, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul makes a statement to Timothy. He says, true godliness with contentment in itself, is great wealth. And what I've found in my own life is that a long, man, I'm a, I'm a very hope-filled person. Those of you that have spent time with me, you know that I, man, that I, I really don't really struggle for hope. In fact, I try to be a dealer of hope. You know what I'm saying? I try to be a hope dealer. And so the deal is, is like, I found for me, like, it's so much easier for me to be hopeful of what tomorrow holds and where I'm going and, and all the things that we've talked about tonight. It's easier for me to be hopeful whenever I'm content. And I know it seems kind of backwards. It seems kind of weird. But when I was thinking about that this week, I was like, that's totally the way it is. Like, it's easy for me to be hopeful when I recognize that, man, God, you've just been so good to me. And I know that if you're so good to me now, you're going to be so good to me then because you're a God of promise and you keep your promises and you take good care of your kids. And God, I'm just, look where you got me right now. And it's so easy to go, man, if God, if you got me there, I know your promises are true because I remember one day when I was sitting back dreaming of this moment and now here I am and it's difficult. But it's so much easier to be hope-filled with contentment. I don't know it's so strange, right? It seems like contentment's like kind of a bad word for me. Like I don't ever preach on that scripture. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you need to be aggressive. No, you need to be hope-filled with contentment. Yes, God, I'm glad you got me here, but come on. I'm ready, but I'm also here. And I'm loving you here, and I'm going to love you there. Does that make sense tonight? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united 